We are now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 6. In review, the Lord calls all to live in holiness and keep his vessel, his own body and soul, which belongs to the Lord. He said, keep it in honor and purity. Now in verse 6, he will deal with the sinning in sexual morality among any believers. So where people do not like to translate right because they like their own thoughts. So they believe that sanctification makes the difference between a, a carnal Christian and a sanctified one. You don't find no such teaching in Scripture. He's simply just explaining for the Christian, he expects all sanctification. If you not have it, you're not the Lord anymore. Very plain and simple. People like to split hairs when they want to live in sin, when they want to license sin, when they don't like a certain scripture, they like to find another one. I find it amazing. And when I used to debate with some of these false teachers, you give them a scripture, they don't listen to you. They're waiting for you to shut up so they can give you their version. They don't even consider the other 12 scriptures. They want their one. And that's not rightly to handling the word of truth. And it's a lying spirit behind it. But often the spirit blinds them to the truth because they don't want the truth. So intellectual, brilliant people are deceived this way. See, some things are spiritually revealed and they can't see it because God doesn't let them see it. Jesus says, you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding. Paul said, I pray that God gives you the spirit of wisdom and understanding. So just because someone reads the Bible, that doesn't give them that. There's basics, and they can quote scripture, but it doesn't know that they mean, understand these things. That's why we have so many false teachers believing in once saved, always saved, and that you have a license to sin, and it's all grace because they can't rightly handle God's word because they don't want to believe it, or they want to approve their own sins and ease their conscience. Well, we know what their end is going to be. So verse 6, verse 5 before said, you are to live in honor and sanctification to Christian, not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God. So he said the Gentile world, the Roman world, the Greek world, they were given over to immorality and idolatry. And much of their idolatry and their gods and goddesses promoted sexual habits and vulgar male, female prostitutes. That was a part of their religion. And that was the problem with Israel under Moses and their early leaders. They kept being lured away to idolatry because of the sexual vices. Otherwise, it wouldn't appeal to them too much. And so we're seeing it hasn't changed. If people don't walk in the Lord, then they're given over and they're easily subject to immorality and vice and all kinds of sexual perversions, which the Lord will avenge and judge people for this ultimately. So what he's talking about in verse 6 that no man transgress or defraud his brother in the matter, in the matter of what? Sexual immorality. It's believed, he's mainly talking about married people 
going outside their marriage or someone trying to seduce a married person. But it applies in general to all sexual problems uh, because only in marriage is sex permitted and sanctified. All other forms with people are called perversions, uncleanness, and the scripture makes it plain they're not going to heaven. They're of this world. So that's why we can use this as we do the word fornication. People today think fornication means sex between unmarried people. The root word in which adultery comes from also for fornication speaks of any sexual device, any relations sexual between anybody who's not married. That's basically at the root of what it means, okay? So the word covers a lot of things. He said, because, okay, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before, and we warned you. Okay, uh, the interesting thing here is when Christians fall under certain sins and they don't judge themselves, they don't deal with it properly, the Lord starts to punish and it's grievous. But the punishment's meant to turn back to holiness and stop the sinning. But in this case, you see a stronger word is used. God isn't talking about punishing them and chasing them. He's avenging. Usually that word's only used against his enemies and against those who resist the gospel. So God's attitude towards sexual sins outside of marriage for Christians is very dangerous for people, the consequences. Under Moses, idolatry and fornication was severely dealt with, even by God would interfere. Remember when he came down from the mountain, he killed 22,000 of them for drinking and having sexual parties and stuff. He didn't mess with them. So this particular sin, God considers very heinous, and he doesn't like it. And he may bypass the normal chastening and judge. He said he's an avenger. Avenger means he's going to pay back for the evil. doesn't talk about correcting or instructing. That's The vengeance of God is going to be demonstrated, the wrath of God, with people in hell. God's anger and vengeance and total disregard of their person, that's what they're going to experience. So he's warning them that this will bring God's judgment very quickly, swift destruction. People who get into this, what is the swift destruction? Often they're, they're not struck dead. They're instantly, once God makes up his mind, they're cut off from the branch. They're spiritually destroyed. And they still think they're Christians because they go to church, because they do some good. They'll tell you, well, that's my only vice. Well, that only vice is going to send you to hell. So if you grow sin on anything, all your good stuff ain't, doesn't mean anything to God. See, there is no bargaining with God. Paul names a whole slew of sins and said, don't let no one deceive you. Don't let them lie to you, the false teachers. What he said, because those who do these things, practice these things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why won't they inherit the kingdom? Because they're not Christians anymore. And if they die in that state, they're going straight to hell. They're going to come under God's judgment. He doesn't mince no words with them. So 
if we don't judge ourselves and we don't watch ourselves, we go back into the world system. And that's what's happening now. So to seduce or mislead a fellow Christian from their purity is a dangerous thing. To defraud is to uh, misguide someone, to take advantage of someone, to lead a person away from holiness and their state of purity. Now, he's talking about practical holiness. All of this stuff of you seated with Christ in heavenly places doesn't mean anything if you aren't practicing it. See, that's all this lying grace and false grace that is passive, but it don't work. It's not active. They're not yielding to this grace. See, it's not one-sided. They want to believe it is, and then there's no responsibility. And so God gives them over to lying spirits because he sees what they want. They don't want the truth. They want to live their evil life, self-pleasure, evil lives, but they don't want to go to hell. Who does? So they think they'll do enough to get by, but they're going to find out it, it, wasn't, it won't work with the Lord. Okay? So what? That's the way of the Gentile world, he was telling them. That's what they had to come out of. The Roman world with all of its Greek teachings and all the various gods with all of their perverse ceremonies and so forth. So the world is much like Sodom, just at different degrees. So that's why he tells them that. They were given to vice and lust. It was so common with the Romans and the Roman world Basically, many people had no conscience. They didn't see nothing wrong with any of these things. While we go to our God and, and we worship him, and then we, we hire one of the prostitutes, male or females, and uh, we pay money, and it goes to our God. So he's happy, and we're happy. So that's, that's the thinking. So you can see why they're given over to this vile things. And the Lord gives them over to foul spirits, vile spirits, okay? So what Paul says here, God will avenge such. He's talking about a Christian who defiles another Christian. He's going to avenge them. That word is basically not used in other form. It says he'll chasten, he'll warn, he'll correct. Hebrew says it's grievous, and it's to make them realize they need to stop their sin, repent, and get right and be practically holy and pure before the Lord again. Their sins cleansed and removed. But like I say, in this case, he uses a stronger word. It's almost like God's going to bypass. He considers it so hideous that he may not chasten and warn. He may act quickly on these people. So he's warning them. And he said, I warned you before, before when he came and the first time and laid the gospel down, he told them these things because they lived in that Roman society, okay? So Paul states God will avenge stuff, and he believed, uh, the Paul here believed, and most uh, scholars believe he was talking to married Christians. But like I say, it, it applies to all forms of fornication from a Christian, any kind of sexual contact, a relationship outside of the marriage, God considers unclean and impure. And no impure person's going to make it into the kingdom of heaven. They practice these things, 
well, their end's going to be destruction. But God often waits and judges the sinner at the end, and that's storing up wrath. But in this case, he may decide to act quicker than he would even with the heathen. So they need to take this scripture very seriously when it says God will avenge that Christian that you caused to fall. You're going to be held accountable for causing the body of Christ to be defiled and made unholy, and God's going to deal with it in a severe way, spiritually or in another way. But he's not going to put up with it. That's what he's saying. So people think they can play around with the Lord. They're going to find out differently. He doesn't play. People think they can play with God's grace. He can withdraw it, and he does on certain people. People can claim to be born again and spiritual all they want. Ezekiel says, in the day that the righteous turn from his righteousness unto wickedness, and if he die, his righteousness will not be remembered. God will cut him off in his sin. That's his prerogative. So people think they can play, oh, God's so patient, love But he looks past things too. And when he sees people are taking advantage of his grace and misguiding, he'll deal with it differently. And like Paul said, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a God of wrath. He's not to be trifled with. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He says, make sure you're in the right state. Make sure you've been regenerated. Make sure you keep short accounts and are not practicing willful sins against God. He said, do this with fear and trembling because you'll go to hell if you die in that state and you don't deal with it. He said, for our God is a consuming fire. That scripture is quoted from Deuteronomy when the Lord said he would avenge idolatrous. He would be a fire to them. Well, he is. He's going to be the lake of fire to the wicked. There is no place that God is not. And his holiness will be manifested by his wrath in the lake of fire toward the wicked. He has total disregard for him. Vengeance, that's the word that's used. It's not meant to rehabilitate. It's meant to pay back for coming against God's righteousness and being in a state of wickedness as the devil and his angels are, okay? Verse 7, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. We talked about that again. means to be set apart. When a person comes to the Lord, he repents and believes. Of course, today they don't use that. But to repent means he turns his mind and body from the wicked world with the determination to turn to God. And God helps him repent, and God helps him in his believing. But he doesn't do it. There is no scripture that says God repents for people, or he believes. They have to repent. They have to believe. And he's gracious to help people in that. So as they are sanctified, they separate themselves from the world. They were children of the devil. Now they turn their back and they turn to the Lord and they're his now. They've separated from the world and now they're consecrated to the Lord. They're not without a master. No man is independent of a master. You either serve the devil's world or the Lord's world. There are no Uh in-betweens. 
So he said he's called you to come out. And so if you're not coming out, you're not repentant. And if you've not repented, your salvation is false. Your confession is worthless. So people can confess all they want, but if they keep doing the same thing, the confession is not valid, and the Lord doesn't remove the sin. God, he says, purify your heart, cleanse your hands. And until you do that, he doesn't do his part. You remain in the state of sin. So he tells the person to do this. You cleanse your heart. You, you stop the sinning with your hands. You, you turn to the Lord. Then he purifies. He never purifies a Christian's heart while they're still in the sin, while they're still willfully sinning. It's when they repent and confess and acknowledge their sin. Then he will deal with it, okay? So we see a lot of the so-called Christian religion and beliefs are false. Most of them that are propagated today are false, okay? The true Christian is dealt with here and now. The Lord permits punishment, said it's grievous. It's meant to produce an attitude and a practicing of the sin, stopping, and to get back into holiness. That's the purpose. And if a person, as Hebrews warns, do not despise this, see, because as you fight and despise it, eventually the Lord cuts you off. He that is often reproved and gets rebellious and willful toward him, he said, he will be cut off in that without remedy. See, he sees the heart. He sees they don't want to change. So he starts to deal accordingly. That's what he's going to do. So if there's no practical holiness and righteousness, if there's no good living, the branch will be cut off from grace, from Christ. See, it has to bear the life and the fruit of the Spirit. And sanctification is the state you live in. Mm -hmm. See, it's the attitude and the state that you've come out from the world and you're separate. That's what it means. And you just start yielding to the new man and to the Spirit's influences in the person's life. So the Lord's work and the Lord's word often, and you see it even in Revelations, Jesus said what? Repent quickly, lest I take your light away. He was talking to the church's own and said, repent of these false teachings and these things you've allowed, or I will remove the lamps that you won't be a church no more. I won't, and that's where most of them are now. But he's dealing with the candles. And if you don't want to be put out and snuffed out, you better not sin and practice sin and live like the world in God's presence while you're claiming to be a Christian because even Jesus said, the hypocrite shall receive the greater damnation. So that's why he said, I would you be hot or cold? Serve the Lord or don't serve the Lord. But this in-between state can bring more judgment on some people, okay? God despises hypocrisy. Worldliness, double-mindedness. He doesn't care much for that, okay? So Paul says, I've spoken these things before, and I've warned you, you converts, what is expected of you if you will continue in God's grace and faith, which he preached. We are told to continue in the fear of the Lord. 
Well, people don't talk about that. You know why? They misquote scripture. And that's all love cast out all fear. That doesn't apply to the setting person. That doesn't apply to the person who's walking in wickedness and disobeying the Lord. There is fear and dread because God's going to avenge it. And eventually that's what he's going to do. So he warns them. So there should be fear if you're not obeying the Lord. Uh huh. And so people quote that scripture like it covers everything. Tell you, oh, you're still saved. You're still Christian. Perfect love cast out fear. But perfected love you're not in. If you're walking in carnality and disobedience and not following the sport, that scripture does not apply to you because you've not fulfilled the conditions that God requires, okay? And what is that? Come out and be separate. That's sanctification, okay? Okay, we'll go to Hebrews. We go to the same scripture many times. Nowadays, some people need to read the same scriptures often because of the age we live in. So when Hebrews 12, 28, 29 He said, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, he's talking about in the next life, when we put on immortality, when we've finished our probation, and when we've overcome in our life, that's what Christ is talking about. We're going to get a kingdom that cannot be altered. It's not going to be changed. Therefore, we should serve the Lord or worship the Lord accepts the lead the way he wants with reverence and godly fear. Notice what he puts there. Godly fear. He's not talking about just respect. He's talking about fear. To be afraid to sin against him. That's the only time a Christian should enter into fear is when he's continuing in something he shouldn't be doing because verse 29 says, for our God is a consuming fire. He's talking about judgment. He's not talking about refinement or correction. Ultimately, he's going to consign the sinner to the lake of fire. That's where all the wicked are going. So he's warning, as Paul often told the other ones, don't be partakers with them. How are you partakers with them? You live like they do. So grace doesn't work, and it's not going to work, okay? Because it has to be yielded to. Grace is not irresistible. Grace is not one-sided. False teachers teach that. Grace must be yielded to. God is the helper, the Lord, the Spirit. He's not the doer. He'll only do it in us with our consent. That's why the whole Bible, the whole New Testament, tells people to do something or don't do something. Tells the Christian to put on this and don't do that and then use it. They have responsibility. He doesn't tell them all this for no reason. Because if they don't do it, they're going to be lost and revert back into the world and come under God's judgment. The branch will be cut off and its ultimate state end will be to be burned. He makes it very plain. Now he's talking about those who are in Christ. If they cease to stay in him like the foolish virgins and the lights went out, and they ceased to walk in him. Then he denied them. He didn't say, I never knew you, like he's going to say to most Christians. He's going to say, I do not know you. See, he once knew them. He doesn't know them anymore in relationship. So serve God with godly fear, 
This is the consuming fire, is the wrath that's going to be experienced at the final end in the lake of fire. This is the consuming fire, ultimately. And he's talking to the Christian. Perfect love may cast out fear, but if one walks in the Spirit, it will. If he's not practicing sin and disobedience, then that works. But if he does, he needs to fear. And I've heard many false shepherds convince Christians that are living in sin that they're still a Christian because they're messengers of the devil. Scripture doesn't teach anything like that. See, they're coming under conviction or their conscience disturbing them. And the true shepherd said, yeah, let's confess it and put it behind us. But no, the false shepherd said, oh, you don't worry. You'll just lose some rewards, but you're still saved. You can imagine the hell they're going to. And Jesus' attitude was, leave them alone. If the blind lead the blind, the false teachers, and the people who listen, he said, let them fall in a ditch. It means they've been warned, they've been dealt with, and they don't want to hear it. They're looking for a false statement. So he says, leave them alone. And the devil will give them some false beliefs, and they'll have a false peace. Until the day of judgment, their mouth will open, and they'll be stunned because they can't be lied to anymore. They won't be lied to. They'll know the truth, and it'll be too late. They'll know the consequences of the truth. So we go back to 7. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity and uncleanness, lawlessness, but in sanctification. He mainly dealt with that because of the Roman world. The sins that lead people astray, it seemed like, were the sexual sins. And it's mixed with idolatry, like I say, because most of the gods and goddesses were promiscuous and encouraged promiscuous. And they got their temple money. Instead of you just giving out of your heart, well, you go buy a, a, a male or female prostitute and have pleasure, and yet you still donate it to the temple. Can you see why God said he'd bring his judgment on them the quickest? They're like devils. He said, they're like Sodom to me. Uh, he's warning them. And Sodom was made an example for the world to look at what God ultimately will do to any nation or people that go too far. He will act in that case and has a right to. So we Christians are and must be in practical holiness and we must continue with Christ. That nullifies a lot of people who think they're Christians. We are not called to live a life of impurity, uncleanness, and sexual impurity and immorality. So you're not going to lose a few rewards. You're going to lose your soul in the lake of fire. You're going to be tormented day and night and wail in your hopeless state and see the consequences of where your sins led you. That's what's going to happen. So Paul said, no one will get to heaven if he practices these things. And the false teacher says, oh, he means you can't enter your spiritual privileges. They're such deceived liars. And sometimes they believe it. See, if you want to believe a lie long enough, God would give the demon over to you and say, go ahead, give it to him. He don't care. He's passed that with certain people. Okay? They don't want the truth, and that's why they're deceived. Okay? 
Verse 8. So, for this reason, look at it. He who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God. What I'm telling you about sexual immorality and seducing another Christian and so forth, he said, I'm telling you as a messenger of the Lord, it came from him. And he's the same one who gave his spirit to you and me. So he's letting them be aware. We are inspired to teachers and prophets to give you his word. And you received his word and his spirit. So if you try to reject what I'm telling you, who are you going to reject? See, he minces no words with them. Okay. So he states, anyone who disregards the words that I'm telling you, that he's disregarding God and disregarding the Spirit of God, inspiring us to teach that. Well, the scripture says, God's Spirit will not always strive with men. When people quench the Spirit and grieve the Spirit, there comes a time he backs up. And then that scripture comes into play. I will harden whom I'll harden, and I'll show mercy to whom I'll show mercy. Those who have played with his grace, he warns them. Even Paul, when he talked to the Galatians about coming back to the Lord and being born again again, that you've gone into the world again and the rites and ceremonies that will not save you, it was Christ. He said, perhaps in another scripture, God will give you the gift of repentance. The question is, perhaps means he might. Doesn't mean he's guaranteed to. Some people have tested the Lord. He knows their ins and outs. He knows what they've been showed. And there's some people the Lord won't do it anymore. That's called blaspheme in the spirit. And they don't even know it. They still go to church and think they're Christians but the Holy Spirit's not dealing with them anymore. See, that's the dangerous thing. That's why we are told, we are told to continue in the fear of the Lord. When God struck Ananias and Sapphira dead for lying, it's interesting. The word of God says, fear came upon the church. Well, why did it come upon the church? Because they saw that a Christian and professing Christian, and we have no no reason to believe they weren't real Christians, were cut off instantly, and they weren't going to heaven. And that produced fear in them. Now, I've heard people say, well, God struck them dead as a punishment, but he took them to heaven. Then why would that be a punishment? And why would other Christians be afraid? Well, I'm sure there's some Christians going through a hard time and say, boy, if I can get God to strike me dead, now great, I want to go to heaven. I'm tired of this world. See, they talk nonsense and foolishness. No fear came upon the church because they say God don't put up with certain things, so don't lie to the Holy Spirit. And they did, and they were given opportunity to acknowledge it, and they didn't do it. That's why he dealt with them as an example to the other ones. Now, verse 9, Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. So repeating brotherly love, I don't need to do this mainly at this time. The Spirit of Christ in you teaches you this. 
One of the nine, I call them nine, one of the nine ways that the Apostle John tells you whether you're a Christian or not, this is one of them. Go to 1 John, 1 John 2, verse 9. Very plain and simple. He who says he is in the truth, that's the light, and hates his brother, his Christian brother, not talking about the world, is in darkness until now. He's not saved. He doesn't have the truth. See? So he's saying, if you hate your brother, care what else you claim and what else you believe and whatever you confess, you're not a Christian as far as God is concerned. Another scripture says you're a murderer and you know no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Okay? So he's talking about real Christians. See, John lived at a time when people who claimed to be Christians, they were reproached to society. And it was not a popular thing. And you would get more trouble in society and by people. Well, today, everybody claims to be a Christian. So we can interpret this as he's talking about a real Christian. Most of the people that claim to be Christians are not Christians. They're not my brothers. I don't have to deal with them in certain ways. I don't have to forgive them automatically. Scripture doesn't teach that. We don't have to forgive even a Christian until they acknowledge their sin and repent. You will rebuke them. And if they don't, Jesus, did you turn them over out of the church? You don't have enough to do with them. What is he telling you? They're going to be cut off. Okay? He's warning you. All this stuff about got to forgive everybody is not taught. Murderers, oh, I have to forgive. No, you don't. He's not a Christian brother. If he becomes a real Christian, then God may deal with you differently. But the the way we deal with the world in general, all Christians should be willing to forgive anybody if they ask forgiveness and they really mean it, even sinners. But those that don't and those that don't meet conditions, that's why Paul said, give place to wrath. And he quotes God, I will avenge. Well, if you're forgiving them, why would God take vengeance on them? See, because they've not really dealt with their sins. And so if a professing Christian will not get right and hold spite and bitterness, you don't have to do anything to him. You leave him to the Lord. The Lord will take care of it. So you're not required to. Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. He didn't say just forgive him automatically. The church put people out in Paul's time for being like that. They severed them from the fellowship. They wouldn't harbor, however, people who were bitter and spiteful toward each other. They didn't put up with that. Okay? So let God deal with these things. Okay? But a real Christian that's repentant, Jesus said, You forgive them. And Peter said, What about if I've done it seven times? He didn't say it was the same sin they did. Because there's a way dealing with someone. If someone keeps repenting and they keep doing it, they've not repented. See, there's no change. And that's why Jesus said up to 70 times. He meant if they're truly sorry for what they do, and they, then you're not to harbor unforgiveness. See, it's easy to do that to a people that our personality doesn't like. But it's a nice, pretty person with a good personality and nice standing. Oh, we want to forgive them because we're hypocrites at times and God sees through it. We're not to judge those things. We're to look to the Spirit. 
So if you respect for a person, you're not going to make it to the kingdom anyway. And nowadays, most of the churches are run by the devil. Not run by spiritual people, okay? Not have spiritual elders. Therefore, they have no true lampstand, okay? So we're at the other end of things. It was a reproach of the world and not popular to be a Christian during apostolic times. Today, everybody's a Christian. Everybody in Europe, they're either Catholics as a whole or Lutherans. Everybody in America, at least 65% claim to be Christians of some sort. It's not true. I hope we can find 3% that are. But it's not true. Because they don't follow the Lord, and they're not led of the Spirit, and they do as they please, and they mix a little religion with it, because the conscience bothers them. But it isn't going to cut it at the end. Not going to happen. Okay? Verse 10, he's continuing on. For indeed, you do practice this love toward all the brethren who were in Macedonia. That was a general area at that time of Asia Minor, I believe. But we urge you, brethren, to excel in this, to grow in your love and your usefulness, and that will people will see this, that you wish them good and not harm that you're not out to cause problems with them or anything. That's what he's he's talking about. Mm-hmm. You are doing this to the brethren, and we urge you to continue. Continue what? Bearing fruit. See, people bear fruit, but sometimes they don't continue to bear fruit. And then the branch starts to dry up, okay? Fruit bearing is to be continued in and matured and have a more of abundance, okay? Or the branch ultimately will be cut off. Jesus said, my father, I'm the vine. I'm the trunk and you're the branch. My father will cut you off is what he said. See, he will cut you off, okay? Let's take a break here.